0: You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Valente. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Yeah, sure. I uh, In 2020, uh, the, the great pause happened, of course. And uh, it was unfortunately lined up with my 30th birthday. Oh wow. Uh, So I couldn't, you know, do anything big like I wanted to or see any friends. Uh, But my partner took me to Savannah for my birthday and, and we stayed at the most haunted hotel there and did all the spooky things. And a friend that we had met in sedona and earlier that year in august uh lived there and she was like i have to show you this place blair it's it's right up your alley and it was the gray face museum which for those that don't know it's a four-story museum run by a husband and wife and they have some of the most interesting and unique pieces in any type of collection I've ever seen in regards to like uh, oddities and whatnot. So yeah, I was so impressed and I met the owner and he was really interesting. So I I shot a video uh, on my phone and I've been a filmmaker for 14 plus years now. So it wasn't something I was going into thinking I was going to use. But regardless, I shot a video and then um, I fast forward December <clears throat> I was looking at my phone kind of cleaning up uh photos and I saw that video and I had been on TikTok for about six months but I hadn't really taken it seriously at that point and I just made a little what I now call micro documentary about my trip there yeah. and uh Posted it, went to bed, didn't think anything of it, and I woke up the next morning and it had been viewed 3.8 million times. shared, Yeah, shared 42,000 times. It had like 50,000 comments, and a couple of weeks later um, ended up being in the New York Post, Um, and the best part about it was uh, Ryan Grayface, the owner, contacted me a month later, and he said, hey... That video that you made, kind of in a roundabout way, saved us because we had our largest day ever since opening, and there oh. was a line wrapped around, you know, to get in. And he said, if that if that hadn't have happened, you know, COVID almost shut our doors, and you know, your post blowing up kind of uh, breathed some life into the museum. So. From there, I kind of just leaned into this spooky travel guide um, role and haven't looked back since.
1: Yeah, Uh, folks... We're talking with Blair Bathory, and she's come on to the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. I'm your host, Ken Vellante, and uh, I uh, thank you for that story, Blair. I mean, talk about inspiring. I mean, I can just kind of feel the feeling of, <laughs> you know, breathing life, uh, you know, in, in, at a time when, gosh, who knows what was going to happen, right? So having it tilt positively gosh that's amazing i love um i love you using the term micro documentary i you know just hearing that and seeing uh seeing your work i um i i really loved uh uh your videos and uh love the spots and places um that you go to also though the particular quality you have of um immersing yourself and not disguising like your immersion within like what what this is and um and I'm sure you talked about this all the time, but I shared with you um Blair Witch Project who and I'm I'm a huge film buff, but I will I will fight with sword against anybody for found footage films. I will I will not accept popular prejudice. I will anyway so we might have that but uh with Blair Witch just 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 knocked me aside like it did most most folks and um you know in my head I lived in Maryland for a bit I knew some of the environs over that way driven through stopped in towns like that and uh one thing I saw that I really enjoyed was you going you know right into um the film the location how it came together and um you know, it seems like you you in describing it were trapped into Blair Witch Project because of your name and, and how you are. That like, all right, you've kind of leaned into it and been like, yeah, it's Blair Witch Project. But um, what about the what about your interaction with Blair Witch in that and in, in particular that um documentary, which I found just great because.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah, one one piece about it is. The way you do it it still hovers around this area of okay it was a film it's not real but then it is real in the sense of what it creates and then it's like this real unrealness that i love existing in that space and when you enter it you just kind of hang out there and be like is it real yeah no yeah i don't know it is kind of so tell us a little bit about the (laughs) you and uh you and blair witch (laughs)
0: Well, of course, my namesake being Blair. That movie came out uh, when I turned eight years old, or I had just turned eight years old. And at the time, I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies, and my family never was into that kind of thing. And in fact, my mother to this day still has a great grudge to the Blair Witch Project filmmakers because she specifically named me Blair, in her words, because it didn't have a nickname. Well, unfortunately (laughs) I have been Blair witch my entire life. So
1: she was trying to plot out the territory and couldn't, she really was.
0: And the universe had different plans, but you know, that film was so prolific for not only cinema, but marketing and the internet and also, you know, Ed Sanchez and the other director, uh, are both from Florida as well. They went to um, UCF. So there's also that connection too. But the epiphany I had when I was in Burkittsville filming that documentary was I didn't recognize that when I first saw Blair Witch, Heather Donahue, the director in the film, is the first time in my life I ever saw a woman directing. And that hadn't connected for me Um, until that moment. And I was standing in the cemetery um, and I was actually with Jed Shepherd who wrote the scariest movie of all time, Host. And so, which is also found footage. So that was all just really surreal in itself, but just standing there and kind of recognizing, you know, how big of an impact that movie had on me was really cool. Um, and I like the, what you said about real unreal. I think that's, what's so cool about found footage is kind of straddling that line of reality. And, um, I actually have been working for the last almost two years on trying to make my own found footage movie, uh, which I'm very close, but I can't say much more than that, but yeah, it was, it was such a cool experience. And the documentary was um, not planned. I, I was on a, a, a road trip with Jed because he asked if he could tag along uh, with me going from Chicago to New York, filming some spooky locations like I do. And we were in um, Monroeville and we had just gone to the Dawn of the Dead mall which for horror fans, you know, is a big deal. (laughs) We got to see the George Romero bust and, you know, pay our respects. Yes. And we were sitting in this rinky dink coffee shop uh, deciding, because we really kind of hadn't decided where we were going to go from Chicago to New York. We just knew we had to get to New York because I was going to be in this other documentary. And we were sitting there and I'm looking at the map Cause I'm from the South, so I don't really know that part of the country very well. And in fact, at that time was the first time I had driven through any of that, like Ohio, Chicago, Illinois, all of that. And we're sitting there and I go, you know, Jed, we are, and he's British. So he had no idea where we were. Right. I said, do you know where we are? (laughs) He was like, no. I was like, we are literally three hours from Burkittsville and his face turned white. It yeah. was like, we have to go. Yeah. So we went. And uh, on the way there, he tweeted about it. And Matt Blasey, who wrote Eight Days in the Woods, which is the definitive guide on the making of the Blair Witch Project, contacted him. And it was like, I want to give you guys a tour. Yeah. Then some of the original cast ended up being there. And it just kind of, you know, as documentaries tend to do, it just kind of birthed itself and uh it was truly one of the coolest experiences of my life because of that epiphany and that full circle moment for me as a filmmaker
1: yeah well gosh there's so much there's so much in there um and I uh I I think one of the things that I enjoy about doing the podcast is to stop and hang around and talk about this type of stuff you know and um uh, the show goes around in a lot of different areas. I've noticed lately that um I'm, I'm dropping into more of the more of a ghost and spookiness and I adore horror movies. And uh I got uh Susie Block uh episode coming up who is in um a horror in the high desert one and horror, horror in the high desert two Minerva. I love both of those films, but uh so it's been it's been it's been fun to 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 move into this territory of uh the different things that I go into. I was wondering about uh, you, Blair. I know you popped around a bit on podcast and uh, something scary podcast. And um, I was wondering, what do you, what are your thoughts about, you know, podcasting and, you know, you you do your video, you know, for the videos, but what do you think about the whole podcasting thing and audio and your experience with uh, doing a podcast?
0: It's been a blessing. It was something that completely fell into my lap last year. Uh, our executive producer and some random casting agent found me, I guess from my online work, and they asked me if I had ever done voiceover talent. And I said, No. I'm not, I'm not. You know, I've done it's so funny, I have to defend against being talent because I'm I'm a writer, director, producer, documentarian, but I do do stuff in front of the camera, uh, but I do not consider myself an actor. There's much better people <laughs> to fill that position. So when they said that, I was a little hesitant because I didn't want to take the job away from somebody that was actually good at it. But I said, "Screw it, I'll do an audition." And it, I just took to it. It was like just meant to be. And the EP hit me back, and she was like, "You're hired." Yeah, and actually, next week is my fiftieth episode with something scary. So it's gone by really fast. And every week we do a weekly episodes, which is incredible because we have staff writers, and as a writer myself, I recognize how difficult that is to output four, excuse me, four original stories every single week um, for yeah. the podcast, which is amazing. Plus, they're derived from our listeners' personal stories a lot of the time. So just that alone. And the team is mostly women. We only have one man on the entire uh, team, which is rare. So that is very cool. And I co-host it with Stephanie Strange. So she does the videos, and then I do the podcast. And it's been, like I said, a blessing. And before Something Scary, I have done what we're doing right here with lots of different podcasters, mostly people in the horror genre, um, indie filmmaking space. But yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great medium. It's really cool that anybody can do it. Anybody can pick up a mic and a computer and tell their story. And I think it's great. I, I recommend anybody to do it but also same with filmmaking i mean anybody can make a movie at this point so i think you know there's a lot of people that are creatives that think it dilutes the the talent pool but i i don't think that i think everybody has a right and an opportunity to tell their stories so
1: yeah i i find you know i've interviewed you know close to 200 artists on this and uh you yeah. know, it's, it, it's, it's that fascinating area of, you know, who am I, you know, what am I, what am I supposed to do, like your identity and what you do. And I, I think it's interesting hearing from you on, you know, kind of uh, an earlier identification with, uh, you know, making film and uh, a strong connection with that. Let's dive in on this with the, you know, the, one of the questions is when did you see yourself as an artist When do you see yourself as an artist?
0: Since I was six years old. Yeah. Um, Another, the other epiphany with the Blair Witch thing is I got my first Hi8 camera, the same camera they used in Blair Witch Project. Yes. uh, a, A year before it came out. And it was my, my father was in news media. He was a news director. So this stuff is in my blood, even though we do sort of different mediums but he's a storyteller through and through. Sure. And he won this high eight camera in a golf tournament. And I'm his only child, so naturally he he let me use it and I was making stop motion videos when I was like I said 6 7 years old. Wow. And they were they were always skewed towards horror always, even at at that age. And I, people have asked me so many times, where does that come from? Why were you drawn to that? I have no idea. I don't have a cool story about that other than I just always inherently liked being scared. I love to be scared. Uh, And in fact, when I was about nine, there was like this group of little girls that used to hang out in the apartment complex that my dad lived in. And I would gather them all up and You know, I was a child, so I didn't know how to really make a movie. But what I would do is I would get these girls and I would I would play out a scene for them. I'd say, "Okay, uh, we're going to cut up watermelon and we're going to put it in a pile over here. That's body parts. And what I want you to do is look at it and then turn to the camera and scream.
1: Yeah, scream.
0: So I'm directing these little girls at nine years old. And I didn't know what that was at the time. But looking back, it's like I was a director even then. Um, and, you know, I was in, uh, art schools from the age of, you know, 10 to the time I dropped out. I dropped out of high school when I was 15, 16, and I went to a pretty prestigious, uh, art high school in Jacksonville. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I've always been artistic. I've always had artistic friends and yeah, so I, I've considered myself a creative, my, my whole life.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, so Blair, um, on that, uh, what is art, right? You're dedicating yourself to this. You've uh, maybe not had so much of a choice <laughs> of what you've been pulled into and connecting with uh, with all that, but what is art? What is art?
0: Art is everything. Art is Um, the emotion that surrounds us every single day. It's the self-expression of your life experiences and connecting with those around you. I I think that it's one of the biggest parts of the human experience and it's something that pushes us forward as a society. So I think it's incredibly important and not to sound like a complete dickhead about it but i think it's it's just as important as any other role in society to to have artists
1: yeah i and i think uh i feel i feel that too and i think that that when you look out into the world or you look into united states and say how do we view artists and what they're up to you know and i think that's where like a lot of thinking in my my head goes to because For me, the the art, artists, and art is the the one thing where you think about the absence of it, then there's no comprehension, and there's you immediately go into I go into like a crisis of the the thought of being like, well, there's nothing shiny and beautiful and inspiring and bigger than this, and be like, ah, you know. So I, uh, I I view it as that is that fundamental. Um, one of the things I wanted to wrap back around, and I heard you say this on the Blair Witch, was that you saw the image of the female uh, filmmaker, and I, I you know, uh, pulling that detail out and for what it meant to you uh, was 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 really inspiring, and just seeing and, and seeing that, and also within horror, right? Because you operate in horror, and it's a weird ass field for women where there is like. Opportunity yeah. and doing the whole horror thing, but it's also, bam, caught up into trickier dynamics of what happens to women or victimization. So, um, so you as if as it, it, and you talked about the and working with groups and women and doing horror. Is there something when you're doing that in approaching horror uh, for you? You know, you're going to be doing something different. That the angle is going to feel different coming from you. and and, and your female crew?
0: I mean, yeah, as far as working with women, I try and do that in all aspects. I mean, even with the paranormal investigation stuff that I've done, it's mostly all women. And I think it's like all artistic endeavors. You know, the more perspectives you can have the better and of course my perspective is going to be much different than a male filmmaker or a you know filmmaker of a different race or from a different country i have my own unique experiences and you know i think that creates something exciting uh you know i've it, it but it's also difficult i mean there's only so many roles to fill on a, on a set. And I think we're just now getting to a time where it's slightly normal to see a female DOP or a female producer on set, but it's still less likely than seeing a man um, in those positions. So, you know, I hope, you know, in the next 20 years of my career, I can help lift as many female filmmakers up and give them jobs and create jobs and, you know, I think the dynamic is women have a a more nurturing aspect to themselves just naturally. So when you have a bunch of women on a set versus more men, I think there's a a calmness. No offense to my male colleagues, but I think there's a calmness (laughs) and a warmth that adds to the whole experience, which if you've ever been on a film set, it's intense and chaotic and, you know, tiresome and you have a a very limited finite amount of time to get the shots you need for that day. Yeah. But when there's like this, you know, almost serene calmness um, it it just makes it flow better. I think so.
1: Yeah. What a found, found, found footage. All right. So you and I just freak out about it and I think when it came out in more popular culture you know Blair Witch Project, Paranormal Activity and this kind of what people say oh this you know the found footage but you and I know it goes back into some deeper history of, of, of filming and the use of uh, you know maybe lower quality camera or bootleg footage in horror has been a deep part of uh, the, the tradition but um, what is it about found footage that feels so different than than other things? I mean, it feels different for me. I might say some things, but what is it about found footage where we have this conversation and be like, this is the shit that like, this is, this is horror, (laughs) right?
0: It's the closest you're going to get to a reality. You know, when you are making a traditional narrative, it's very polished and you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. When you are doing a found footage, inherently you have less of a budget, you have a smaller crew, you have less gear. You typically don't have a full like grip and electric team. You have to use the things around you. And there's actually a lot of restraint that's needed as a director when you're making a film like that because you wanna get the most authentic reactions out of your actors and your team as possible, because at the end of the day, you're you're selling this as found footage, as if this was filmed by real people, and this is to feel like it really happened, that, you know, Heather, Mike, and Josh were really out in the woods trying to find the Blair Witch. So I think that's why it feels different, because of all of those elements. And I think that's what makes it such a cool subgenre, and something that I think all filmmakers should explore personally because I think it's it's a really great exercise uh, to explore.
1: Yeah, I and I think I think I you know I think I see it in other things. I think of Alien or Aliens, and it's not like found footage. But when we're talking about like through like a lens or there's infrared, there's all these different it's a little it's like using the piece of a different way of showing that feels like okay now I'm right here in this mm-hmm. and I, I i love that cuz i feel that energy and the thing is for me as a horror fan the mo- the movies that have like where i've and there's only been like 3 or 4 for me like when i walk outside the theater and being like like, do I need help? Like, what is going? Like, that happened to me like a couple times. Blair Witch, um, Paranormal Activity, and a couple other films where I walked out. and I was like, I think I should just talk to somebody and process out.
0: I need a shower. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: like I, I mean, I loved it, but like, it really, it really, really impacted me. Um, yeah. So I. I I do, um, I do love that, that piece of it. Um, I'm a, a, a Yankee from up in Rhode Island and, uh, uh, I live out in Oregon now, but I've been, I've been to the South and, um, you know, I think of growing up in New England, I would have uh, kind of mythologies or fables, you know, in my head about, uh, uh, going South, but I've experienced, uh, I've experienced there. And I tell you one thing that has always drawn me, um, that might be romantic in, in in and of itself, but you know I've read a lot of these stories of like 19th century, early 20th century Southern, um, uh, early African American writers, and like of the conjure, of the conjure uh, that's in the woods or witchcraft, but the, in particular conjuring in a particular uh, thing uh, within that tradition. And I, when I think of that, I think of, uh, I went to Savannah once, and it, it, Savannah looks like, I think it would look like, and how it's been shown to me. It has this uh, swampiness, this uh, gloominess, uh, that ghosts seem to be here, or nearby, <laughs> or I don't know it all. Um, but what I want, I'm leading to, is there something particular, you're down in Atlanta, is there something particular about Southern horror or what, uh, what's in the woods down by you?
0: Absolutely. There's, I'm actually working on a new short film with an amazing photographer uh, that only shoots the South and I think him and I kind of connected because I told him, I, I think people don't understand the mysticism of down here. You know, being from Florida, people have three things they think about when I, when I mention I'm from that state. Disney World, Florida Man, and Cocaine in Miami. So I was going to uh, say Miami
1: Vice, your third one hit it, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I hate that because – Florida is so beautiful and like, there's such a unique smell and a, and a feel there's like an energy and vibrance in the air. And, you know, my grandmother's in Apopka, which is only an hour outside of uh, Casadega, which is the psychic capital of the world. Um, and Palm beach is also, you know, known for having a lot of witches and psychics and mystics. And also my mother's from Appalachia, And she doesn't like to admit that, but I lived in East Tennessee for a while and I lived up in the mountains and I kind of like reattached to my roots in that way. And, you know, the AT, the the Appalachian trail that actually starts in Georgia, very close to where I am.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's got such a, a cool vibe to it. And then of course, you know, Appalachia has so many interesting urban legends and, you know, the hat man and, you know, wendigos and the things that hide up in the trees don't go out into the the woods at night. And, you know, all those old wives tales. So, yeah, I think there is something really special about down here. There's also an enormous amount of history here. You know, I'm from Jacksonville Beach, which is really close to St. Augustine, which is the oldest city in America. Yeah and also one of the most haunted cities in America. I think when you when you get to places like Savannah and St. Augustine and and places that have just this reverence for historical uh moments in time, I think yeah, you're going to find a lot of ghosts. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I there's something particular that I like and I, I know and just seeing you, you know, looking at geography and kind of connecting land to horror and the stories back behind it. You know, I see myself as very influenced in terms of horror from where I live. I think like in New England, right? Actually, my, my first uh, long-term girlfriend lived down the street from the Warrens in Connecticut, mm. mm-hmm. you know, with the Annabelle doll and all that type of stuff. Um, and then when I lived in the Midwest, it's, I don't know, serial killer territory right John Wayne Gacy Jeffrey Dahmer when I went to Marquette I lived four blocks from Dahmer's apartments you know that were mm. there and like there's Ed Gein and Plainfield and there's this Midwest type of thing um and then out here in Oregon it's spooky woods and <laughs> UFOs and <Yeah. laughs> it's a different vibe out this way but I, I I feel I tend to be sensitive and feel what like the the weird vibe, or the that cultural piece that's um, uh, that's that's in that's in the ears. Where's your favorite locale for found footage? I've uh, I found footage for me. I always want space to work more effectively through and throughout. Uh, of course, Blair Witch is in, in the woods. Uh, you have a. I remember um, one of my favorites. Uh, Record rec. That was in a Spanish movie, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a quarantined uh, hotel apartment uh, apartment building there. What's your favorite locale for the found footage when it shows up?
0: I obviously the woods are classic. Um, you know, I, I like Hell House LLC. I love Butterfly Kisses. Um, I just saw a found footage movie that took place in the desert. I thought there were some really interesting Ideas and that. Um, but I want to see something outside of the United States and I want to see something in a really beautiful location. I'm really interested in the dichotomy of setting a horror movie in a really beautiful place um, and like having these horrific things happen to people when they're in the most yeah. you know, beautiful beach or whatever. Um, I think M. Night tried to do something like that with Old, but it, it, was, a, it was a miss for me on that one. But I, I appreciated what he was trying to do. And I think that's cool. Um, you know, for me, like, if I'm going to make a film, like, I want to do something people haven't seen before. And, you know, I have never seen a found footage movie um, on a beach or somewhere. The mountains would be cool. Appalachia would be interesting, so
1: Appalachia yeah. would be interesting i think I like the idea, of course, horror I mean, if we think of a beautiful scene, right? like everything's geared towards you, letting everything loose and like opening yourself up and the most extreme violation is <laughs> the horror to occur there so yeah yeah i think I think that would be a a, a nice spot um. What's the role of art, uh, Blair? You talked about what art is, and uh, and I'm just going to connect one little question to this. Is um, I talk to folks nowadays, and sometimes they feel art is more important, or the role of art, as they define it, is more important. What do you think, uh, what do you feel the role of art is uh, here we're chatting in uh, spring 2023?
0: In my life or in the world?
1: Um, Both.
0: Okay. In my life, it's, it's almost an addiction at this point. I mean, I got to get my fix every day. Um, My, I was just talking to my best friend yesterday. We've been best friends since high school and he's a filmmaker in LA. And, you know, we both went to an art school, but we're only one of two out of a handful that actually have continued on and done whatever our art was from from that school. And he was he was asking me if, you know, because I'm in my thirties, so people are having kids and, you know, a lot of people have been married now for a decade at this point. And he was he was saying, Do you think people are happier just living that life? And I said, I don't know, but it's just different. And I don't I don't relate to people like that because I couldn't wake up in the morning if I didn't have something that I had to make or create yeah. or fight for, yeah. Um, and maybe that's you know a fault in my personality or something because no, it's, it's really it's, really it's hard. Your
1: drive that's your drive though. That's what gets you gets you to yeah. do the thing. Yeah.
0: And I've only and I've only just gotten to a point in my life where friends and family have accepted like this is the role I'm playing in this life because throughout my twenties. They were like, are you sure you don't want to go to college? Are you sure you don't want to, you know, settle down? Are you sure you don't want to do, you know, X, Y, and Z? And I was stubborn. I was like, no, I'm a filmmaker. And, you know, I'll be 33 this year and people are – just now, finally accepting, like, all right, I guess this is what she's gonna fucking do. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, gotta accept sh- it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, but you should. I want to go back to one of the pieces you had mentioned. You know, you're talking about uh, acting, and, and when you were talking about that, I was thinking in, in, in my head and just seeing, you know. Um the videos that you'd done for me it was a natural complete me thinking about you, which I mean we haven't met we're just talking now, but just seeing you on on video, the inflection over to acting I think would just be the quick transformation uh for you i think i i think like i I think that um when you inhabit the space even as you blear in you know the graveyard and talking there is there is character to it it's not artificiality but there's performance uh to that so when you're talking about acting i was like oh that's i, I don't know i was just I, I know you were doubtful about it but i'm like well
0: i think well, we're I, all I, actors <laughs> in our own right? you know okay. we all wear masks
1: okay okay <laughs>
0: yeah if you want to get deep with it i mean i you know and as a you know as a director there's a level of understanding of that that you need to have, you know, because the director works with the actors and that's their main job. And I think I just don't want to live the lifestyle of being an actor. Being an actor is really hard. It's
1: it's a tough job. And
0: I, I, I don't, I'm not strong enough. Like it's hard enough trying to be a filmmaker. Yeah. 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 Trying to be an actor. Like, I, i've lived with actors they've been my roommates and like i can't do the auditions and the and also i'm a control freak <clears throat> i can't um be told what to do it's just nah.
1: yeah <laughs> so. I, I, i'm interviewing i'm interviewing with my uh disobey my disobey shirt you know i work as uh my day job is as a union rep um i think i'm paid uh in encouraged in my Lifelong oppositional behavior. I get it, Blair.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's some up there's there's leaders and there's followers. You know. Oh
1: man, oh man. No, it's 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 great to um, it's great to uh, chat about that. I'm gonna hit you with the big one, and then we're gonna kick around just a little bit more horror or whatever. Um, the big one is the something rather than nothing question, Blair. Why is there something rather than nothing?
0: Because we create it. We make something out of nothing, and i that's one of my favorite things about my job. Whether it's something scary or my documentaries or my narrative films, it's just a seed of an idea, and then somehow, miraculously, you get all the people you need, you f- find the money, God willing, and you make it. It's the only thing I can ever compare it to is like I do not have children, but it's almost like giving birth because you you, you are creating something out of nothing.
1: Yeah. Well, that's I love that. That's that's incredible. I, I, I usually have a bunch to say like right after it, but, you know, <laughs> there, there there you go. I, um, yeah, that one. <laughs> I know. I know. I uh it's such um. It's such a funny to question, a question to ask uh, over time because it's meant to, it's meant, it's, I don't know, it's even meant for me to to stumble over, right? But I, I, as far as capturing, you know, what we are human, humans are doing, right? Like the idea is even if there is nothing or there's like the things are valueless or things like I'm going to forge something in this for this reason and like that's that that's that resonance to lean into and that's you know you being a filmmaker and wanting to wake up excited to not just do and create like this kind of like pollyannish type of thing but you said fight because like it isn't like when you wake up and you're talking like horror films it's like the whole world rallies around you being like fuck yeah that's what we want to do it's like you have to get in there and, and get in there and do that um Wanted to ask you uh, just generally uh, about those uh, documentary videos, the mini docs, you you go into locations um, outside of, you know, uh, related to Blair Witch and such. You mentioned one that you've bumped into that you maybe didn't have any expectation, didn't know what you're going to see. And then it was like, whoa, and, and you captured it.
0: That happens almost every time. Wow. I... You know, I, I, people have asked me before, like, how do I find the locations? It's all different, you know, ways. And I, you know, sometimes I do research beforehand. Sometimes I'll go to a diner at whatever place I'm at and ask the waitress, Hey, what's the spooky shit in your town? Uh, So I typically don't, you know, over-research where I'm going so I can be surprised and and be in the moment. Um, One of the more terrifying ones that I did find was um, in Athens, Georgia. I was working for a company called Horror Pack at the time, and I was at their shipping facility. And I asked the workers there, Hey, what's some spooky shit around here? And everybody kept mentioning the murder house. So, They told me the address after work. I drove over there and it was this big yellow house on the corner of this residential area. And it had this beautiful mosaic on the front of it with a sailboat in it. And uh, I could tell immediately it was abandoned. There was nobody living there. Yeah. And it was really creepy because you could just tell there was something up with the energy of this house. Sure. yeah. So yeah. I pulled into the driveway and I started walking around it. I started filming it. And at this point I didn't know the story at all. I just knew it was the murder house. And I walked up to the back porch, which had these beautiful, you know, very big glass doors. And I grabbed the handle just to see if it was open yeah, and I immediately felt this like shock of energy and oh. I pulled back and I just felt dread uh, standing there in that moment. And I was looking yeah. into the living room uh, from those glass doors. And what I later found out was, Where I was standing and where I was looking at was where they found the bodies of the homeowners, the husband and wife, who had been stabbed to death with a spear and rolled up in their own carpet by a young boy who was 14 that had been hiding out in their basement for three days, waiting to kill them. Uh... And it's called the Sutton Family Murder House. And that one was intense because I didn't know anything about it. I just knew something had happened. But to find out after the fact that I was staring into the exact location of where these poor people were found was intense.
1: Wow! With the stories you tell, I need to allot myself dead, the dead, dead, dead space time to allow some of it to to mm-hmm. sink in. Wow! Yeah. I uh, that's 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 incredible. Um, that energy. I um I wanted to tell you this just the locations and maybe it fits what we're talking about it's places where I felt I'm not particularly sensitive to those energies for myself. And I, have talked about this with folks. I'm, I'm empath and, and connect with the hundreds and thousands of people, union rep, arts organizer. And, and I connect in that way, but I don't I've never felt a strong, you know, sensitivity to, to the other or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I tell you in both places, both places I have felt that were definitely south of the Mason Dixon was uh, like Harper's Ferry, mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, uh, I'm thinking actually maybe in my head tied to the Civil War uh, battlefields in Tidem, kind mm-hmm. of places of mass war death. I don't know. Maybe I was more sensitive to, to it in, in that area, but um, yeah, locations and the energy they have. And hey, once you told me that they're telling the story about Murder House, I'm like, okay, here we go. Right. Hey, hey, what is it? It's not like old, old man Foster's, you know, <laughs> rickety mm-hmm. shack. It's murder house.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been to, you know, I do believe that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the original or the remake of The Grudge, but that's what that movie's about. Is you know locations? It's almost like the earth exor- uh absorbs the energy of these. You know tragedies. I've been to the um, UT uh, clock tower shooting site, which was oh yeah, yeah, very intense. Which was the the largest mass shooting at the time in the U.S.
1: So there was the uh, bell bell tower or something,
0: right? Yeah, the UT okay. clock tower. Um, yeah. A former marine went up there and, and yeah. shot a bunch of people, um, and then he was killed. Yeah. And then um, I also went. So that's in Austin, Texas. And also in Austin, Texas, I went to the yogurt shop murders, which were infamous murders of four little girls in a yogurt shop in 1993, which is still unsolved to this day. Wow. Um, and, it, and it's one of the most horrific crimes um, I've ever read about. I mean, they were yeah. just uh, just brutalized, the, the poor kids. Um, so places like that, I mean, you... you And, and what is strange sometimes when you go to these places like the UT clock tower and the yogurt shop, which is now a Persian rug store in a, just a normal, you know, shopping center, everybody's just be bopping around, you know, living their life, of course. Yeah. And I just, sometimes I stand in these places and I'm like, do they know, do they know what happened here? And there's something eerie about that is that, you know, you're, where we live and the places we go to every day you don't know the history of these places sometimes and
1: yeah I, th- I think about that a lot and I think you know for you picking up some of the energies around that I think there's a sensitivity where you're like hey folks like something's off here it's like you know and and you would have the perspective of people kind of you know walking their dog and you'd be like oh, haunted spot yeah. like just the energies there and um, those
0: places are sometimes more creepy to me than like some of the haunted houses i've gone to because i went to the the conjuring house in rhode island i've been to the yeah. Bel Air house in ohio which is you know supposedly has a demon and uh, i went to um, madison seminary in ohio which is one of the most haunted places in ohio those places are less scary to me than the Sutton family house or UT clock tower. Cause it, it's like people are just walking by, like nothing's happened. You're going to the haunted houses, like expecting a ghost, but like just these random kind of innocuous locations, there's definitely something really creepy about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I had one of the most fun experiences. Um, it was, uh, a filmmaker and a graphic novelist, Jason Mayo, out in Rhode Island. And when I was a kid, I went to, um, it was Rocky Point Amusement Park. And Rhode Island's super small. You can't drive unless you catch traffic. You're you're in and out in an hour, no matter which way you're going, right? And so small state, very unique culture, but this was the amusement park that was down uh, in the mid part of the state. And, um, you know, mix of urban legend, mix of Crime and mishap and mayhem and a mix of you know haunted rides, and he captured a lot of that mythos in uh tales of um of Rocky Point. But it was so fascinating to me because it created a thread for me to see there was this one ride that was like House of horrors it had like a Viking, and the Vikings axe came down on one time on somebody, yeah. and they thought it was real and weird mishaps on rides. but the thing is, these rides, because they're so expensive, they kind of repackage them, refurbish them, and then they show up in other places. So, like, the flume went to Japan, and then another one went to some other place. So, like, starting to follow, I'm like, there's something going on with these rides, because when I was a kid, I was on it, and it was, you know, just stuck in my head. And then following, you know, even the objects, right, like you we were talking mm-hmm. about the museum of of, of objects And what Mm -hmm. energy they hold, right, of when you did that video of, like, if it's tied to a a serial killer or it's a unique piece of something that's connected to a a tragedy, it's, what do you do with that? It's like, you know, even in terms of art, like, how do you handle it, approach it?
0: Yeah, they, uh, Grayface had actual... From the site, uh, flavor aid packets uh, from the. Um, I'm, now I'm blanking. The Kool Aid uh, when they drink the Kool Aid and the. Colt, oh yeah, the um, Jones,
1: the Jones. Jonestown. The, uh, yes, Jonestown. Thank you. Yeah, yeah.
0: So they had the flavor aid packets from Jonestown. And you like, kidding me? No, and and uh, Ryan said he got it from a dirty cop <laughs> that was on the scene. Uh, he had that. That was just like. Creepy, um, you know, yeah.
1: cause yeah.
0: There, there's some deep um, stuff about Jonestown, like people dying by drinking Kool-Aid, but they, he also had um, Eileen Warnos's underwear oh, that gosh. she wore right before she was executed. Uh, that was very strong. Like just the presence of that. He had a ton of art from John Wayne Gacy and Charles Manson and he had the shoes of Joseph Drews, um, who was an inmate that crushed the skull of another inmate, who was a um, a pastor uh, that abused children, and he killed him in prison. And Ryan has the shoes that killed this man. So stuff like that. It's just like,
1: whoa, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I th- I think I I think it I I in, I enjoy the mere question of what what to do with that stuff because i could say for myself i'm i'm not going to apologize for a deep morbid curiosity towards all of it now what do you do with it or whether you want it or view it those are all questions for individuals but it's a it's a provoking territory
0: oh yeah i mean i've had you know i i, I don't get as much hate as i thought i would making some of the videos i make Uh, the true crime stuff is definitely more polarizing than the ghost stuff, which I find really ironic, honestly, because it's all about dead people. I mean, Mm. all of these stories are about people that have died typically in tragic ways. Um, And I never tell stories of, of recent murders and I don't talk about kids. Um, The only time I did that was about the yogurt shop. Um, And the only reason I did that was because it's still an unsolved case um, oh, and I visited John Benet Ramsey's gravesite um, just because I've had a fascination with her my whole life. Because we're the we're the same age, or we would have been. Um, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean, the way I I see it, what I do is no different than somebody that works in media uh, for a news channel, and in fact, I feel a little more respectful sometimes. You know, I like I said my dad worked in in news media.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, they are on the scene mere minutes after somebody has been tragically maimed or killed or whatever the story is. Yeah. And the whole point of being there is just to get the story. There's no you know regard for the family and, and what happened? Or anything like who, that.
1: Who where when
0: Yeah. Just the basic details to get it out. And, and it's salacious too. I mean, at the end of the day, the news has got to make money too. Um, so, you know, my point is, is that I think, I think with all of this stuff, kind of like you said, like it's a, it's a choice. And I think with the items, the, it's called murderabilia. Um, I think it's the right place for it as a museum because a, a individual can choose to go inside the museum and look at it. Like you right. know what you're getting when you buy a ticket to go to Grayface. So, right. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, well, it's it's. Uh, I I find it fascinating. I mean, I talked uh, just in a recent episode. Um, you know, on the same point was uh, Bobby and I believe. You know, and he was an artist in prison, and, and those questions come up, right? Because if you think about art and art object, we do get attached to whose hand they came off. We know a Warhol is a Warhol and came out of the factory, like we attach to that type of thing. And uh, mm-hmm. it, I find it always such a fascinating interaction with art is, you know, the thing in and of itself, and then whose hand was connected to it, and. And and how, um, Blair, tell us where to find like your, your, your work. Um, you mentioned TikTok, uh, your videos and YouTube to tell us where to find the, the things that you do and maybe, you know, things you'd like to point out in particular to folks.
0: Sure, you can find me literally anywhere on the internet if you just google my name. You can find I'm actually officially according to Google and a internet influencer. So that's
1: Yes, clear battery that's enter- influencer. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, uh, I post longer uh, documentaries on YouTube. And then I post, like I said, my micro stuff on all the other platforms. And I mean all of the other platforms. <laughs> uh, I think maybe you found me through Instagram. But, um, yeah, I post all that same content on on TikTok with some additional stuff. Um, I would say if, if anybody wants to dive deep, go to my YouTube because I have some new stuff. Sp- Documentaries coming out and also have a, a show on something scary that will be finally um, airing, I think, next month on their channel, uh, which is called Fright Scene, which is all about what we've been talking about. Spooky locations all over the world. Yes. And some of these places I went, nobody else has footage of. So it's it's some pretty unique sites. And, uh, hopefully very soon I can announce some other cool stuff, some, some bigger projects, but yeah, I'm all over the internet. You can find me anywhere.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's so, it's so great. Um, this question is a certain randomness, but I I just wanted to ask you, um, and and I'm not, I didn't, never seen any videos. You're familiar with the, um, uh the bone ossuary in sedlec in um, Czech Republic. It's a church. Yes. And it, with all bones that create all the um objects, like the religious objects and and such. Um, I don't know why I just thought of that maybe talking about I, your videos. I actually
0: yeah. made a video not too long ago about sites I want to visit in 2023, like dream sites. And that was yeah. included included in the video. But I also went to a church in Milan. Uh, in 2018, before I was documenting all this stuff, um, and it was similar. They had skulls from ceiling to floor, uh, real human skulls in the church. Um, it was—I don't know if "beautiful" is the right word, but it was I, stunning. I,
1: I saw it so—I uh, saw it so so long ago. I actually saw it about. 25 years ago um and, and and listeners it's uh sedlitz uh in the czech republic and it's called an ossuary and it's actually a religious a christian religious place of worship and for my sensibilities i'm like how the hell like i know christianity is like bones and spirits like i get all that but i'm like why is everything made of bone? And it was a place uh, for folks to be interred in a particular way in in consecration, but also to be a holy place, much more maybe connected uh, to uh, bones and and, and dirt. So, yeah.
0: There's actually, I've been all over Europe and I work with a lot of Mm -hmm. Europeans. There's a completely different acceptance and understanding of morbid, uh, more, you know, life after death and a reverence that Americans don't have. Um, And I don't think we understand. But, you know, culturally, you know, they've just been around longer. I think, you know, when I go to the UK and, and Italy and stuff, they, they're just more chill about talking about this kind of stuff it's not yeah. like you don't have to be super pc like i was in this place called guernsey which was famously occupied by the nazis during world war ii and everybody just kind of talks about it like it is what it is you know it's just a matter of yeah. fact and i kept telling them um the people i was with i was like we would have to tiptoe around a lot of stuff if we were in, you know, America, cause it's just different here. We just have a different uh, way of, of dealing with the, these subjects. So yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> I, I much
0: prefer going, I, I much prefer going to places in Europe just because it's like, Oh, you want to see uh, where this crazy historical murder happened? Yeah, let's go. Come on up in the, the car. So
1: yeah, yeah I, I, I do enjoy that myself when I've been over there and I, I'm sure um, taking your words about some of the some of the different ways of talking about history or sharing and uh, um, uh, Blair Bathory, uh, Blair, it has been a, a great pleasure to talk with you on the podcast um, uh I, I i enjoy everything that we were talking about and um yeah and, and and really appreciate uh your work and um you know what you create and i will say just hearing about some of your talk of maybe creating found footage film it's in the works that's i uh Could not be more excited, and we'll learn at appropriate times what the heck is going on. Um, But um, Blair, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast.
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Awesome. All right. This is something rather than nothing.